the House will today send the article of impeachment to the Senate. My prediction, the Senate will have a trial. Wrong in my view, but they'll have it. But they will acquit, and they will acquit largely on the ground that they shouldn't have had a trial at all. That's the interesting paradox. We're also going to talk today about Facebook appointing a bevy of platonic guardians, elitist people, to tell us what we can hear and what we can see on the Facebook platform. Do you agree or don't you agree? You'll hear my take on The Der Show. Today is the day that uh, former President Donald Trump will actually be impeached for practical purposes. Yes, there was a vote to impeach him by the House of Representatives uh, days ago, but uh, today, at least according to the schedule, uh, the Speaker of the House will transmit the articles of impeachment to the Senate, thus really beginning the impeachment and removal process. According to the rules of the Senate, the trial must begin the day after they get the articles of impeachment, in this case, a single article of impeachment, which means tomorrow, Tuesday. But a deal has been made uh, between the Democratic uh, and Republican leaders to put the trial off for a couple of weeks to permit the Senate to deal with President Biden's cabinet nominees and to permit the Trump defense to uh, organize. So we will have a trial in two weeks. What we don't know uh, at the moment is whether there will be motions during the first two weeks or whether they will wait for two weeks, because there are going to be clearly two very important motions. One will be a motion to simply dismiss all the charges and the impeachment on the ground that it's unconstitutional to try a former president, that impeachment only applies to sitting presidents who can be removed, not former presidents who can't be removed. That will be one very important motion. And the second motion may relate to who presides. Under the Constitution, the chief justice must preside if the president is being tried. Well, there's only one president. His name is Biden, not Trump. And so I don't think that the chief justice will be asked and if asked will agree to preside over the trial of a former president, even one who was formally begun to be impeached while he was still president of the United States. But then the next question comes up, who will preside? The natural person would be the vice president of the United States, uh, Kamala Harris, but uh, she may have a conflict of interest because she may be running for president in 2024. And the only object of this unconstitutional trial would be to preclude her opponent, namely former President Trump, from running against her in 2024. The appearance of bias to have a presiding officer ruling in her own self-interest, if she perceives it in her own self-interest, disqualifying a major candidate against her would create even more division and tension than exists today. So we may see some maneuvering and maybe it'll be the president pro temp of the Senate, which is generally the senior member of the party in control, uh, may preside so old that he's not going to run for president. So there's no apparent conflict of interest. Of course, there's a general conflict here because the victims of the alleged impeachable crime, uh, the, the, the riot, were the senators and congressmen themselves. But there's really nothing that can be done about that because the only jury that constitutionally is permitted in an impeachment case is the jury of 
all the senators. So um, although the senators have to take a special oath when they sit in an impeachment case, that oath doesn't include precluding them from appearing as jurors if they are, in fact, witnesses or potential victims. It's a mess. It's a mess. And obviously, we're not going to see a trial that comports with the kind of due process that we demand. And in normal trials, we're going to see partisan votes up and down the line. In fact, here's my prediction. There will be two votes, two major votes. One, does the Senate have jurisdiction over a former president that will pass along roughly party lines, maybe 40 or so Republicans, um, maybe one Democrat will vote against um, a jurisdiction, but uh, a majority will vote for it. Even if it's split along party lines, uh, Vice President Harris will cast the deciding vote in favor of jurisdiction. So uh, the Senate will vote that it has jurisdiction. They will vote wrongly, in my view, unconstitutionally, in my view. The Senate did the same thing in the Belknap case in 1876. Uh, they did the same thing. They were wrong then. They'd be wrong now. But what happened in the Belknap case will probably happen here as well. Namely, in the Belknap case, remember, that was the Secretary of War who was about to be impeached and removed for clear impeachable offenses. And he, at the last minute, went to President Grant with tears in his eyes and offered his resignation, which was accepted. And nonetheless, the House impeached him and the Senate put it on trial. But what a lot of people who are commenting on the Belknap trial failed to tell their audiences, uh, including... Uh, some people on CNN and CN and MSNBC, is that Belknap was acquitted. He was acquitted and he was acquitted not because he was innocent. He was clearly guilty. He was acquitted because there were enough votes against the Senate having jurisdiction. Remember, you need only a majority to give the Senate jurisdiction, but then you need two-thirds to convict. So more than one-third of the senators back then said that, no, there wasn't uh, jurisdiction. And so they acquitted on that ground. I predict the same thing is going to happen now. I predict that there will be enough votes in the Senate to have jurisdiction, wrong, unconstitutional, mistaken, wrong in every respect. But the Senate is used to being wrong. They're wrong as often as they're right. And so here's another instance where they will be wrong. This time they will be unconstitutionally wrong. They will put themselves above the law. And they will be wrong. And then there'll be a trial. It won't be a real trial. It'll be political theater. And one of the reasons I'm not participating in it is because I'm neither an actor nor a politician. So I have no role in political theater. Uh, I am somebody who will speak about this on The Der Show and other forums uh, where I'll argue about the unconstitutionality of impeaching a former president, particularly for a First Amendment protected speech. So there'll be a trial. At the end of the trial, there'll be a vote. And the same people who voted against jurisdiction, let's say there are 40 of them, um, will vote against conviction. But they'll vote against conviction, some of them on the ground that the, the articles, the article of impeachment itself is unconstitutional. Others on the ground that the Senate had no jurisdiction. So my prediction is the Senate will vote itself jurisdiction wrong and the Senate will acquit. Correct. Um, and they will acquit largely, not exclusively, on the ground that there is no jurisdiction. So you heard it here. I've made predictions over the past four years. Every one of them has turned out to be right. Every one that, that uh, Jeffrey Tubin has made has turned out pretty much to be wrong. Every one that Larry Tribe has made has turned out pretty much to be wrong. 
because they allow their ideology and their preferences to influence their predictions. Do they really believe what they're saying or are they just saying it because they know their audience wants to hear wish fulfillment predictions? I don't know. I can't speculate about their mindset. I can just tell you they've been wrong more often than they've been right. And I've been right much more often than I've been wrong. And so I'm putting myself out on a limb. I'm predicting, yes, there'll be enough votes for jurisdiction. No, there won't be enough votes for conviction. Things could change. And if they change, uh, I'll change my view. If more evidence comes out, if other information becomes available, obviously you have to look at the totality of the circumstances at the time of the vote. But you've heard my prediction. Yes on jurisdiction, no on conviction. So former President Trump will once again be acquitted. He will claim vindication. Um, it will divide the country. It will prevent President Biden from going forward with his healing uh, process. And uh, it will keep President Biden from getting to his agenda as quickly and as effectively as he can. And in the end, it will benefit no one but a few politicians who will be able to pander and stand up and get their two minutes uh, of television time or their 15 minutes of fame. But it will hurt the American public and it will hurt the Constitution. It will create yet a second wrong precedent on whether the Senate has jurisdiction to try a form of president. But that's the way politics are developing in the United States today. So that's uh, the Der Show's view on um, the impeachment process going forward. Obviously, we'll be following it uh, as it emerges. Uh, we'll be following all the other developments as well. One other point that made the news uh, this weekend, which is quite important, is the continuing attack on freedom of speech by the social media and by other elitist institutions. Uh, we know that there are efforts to disbar Rudy Giuliani. Rudy and I agree about almost nothing. He's a Yankee fan. I'm a Red Sox fan. He's a Republican. I'm a Democrat. Um, uh, but the idea of him being disbarred because he vigorously pursued what turned out to be a wrong theory um, is not acceptable. And as I said over the weekend, I will defend him in the court of public opinion and appear as a witness on his behalf if he is subject to disbarment, because I think it would be a McCarthyite attack on lawyers to disbar lawyers who have defended unpopular or controversial clients uh, and made arguments that were ultimately rejected. I've had arguments rejected. You know, people say, well, all the courts, all the courts have said that, uh, that, that the vote was fair. Who cares what all the courts have said? There's right and there's wrong. History judges, not courts. Most of the courts rejected these claims on procedural grounds, standing, ripeness, you know, a range of other issues. There haven't been very many uh, evidentiary hearings, but I'm used to taking cases where all the courts have ruled against me. I had a case some years ago, a death penalty case, where uh, I had two boys on death row who were innocent, and all the courts ruled against me, every single court, including the United States Supreme Court, five to four ruled against me. And I persisted, and I persisted, and I persisted, and I got criticized for persisting. Why you don't you give up? The courts have ruled against you. Well, in the end, I won. In the end, I found a court that ruled for me, and it saved the lives of these two young boys. So don't tell me all the courts have ruled against you. That's my favorite kind of case, when all the courts have ruled against me. And even if all the courts ultimately rule against me, there is still recourse to the court of public opinion. There's still the possibility of getting pardons and commutations. So I never give up. 
And I admire lawyers who never give up. No, lawyers shouldn't make arguments that are false. They shouldn't misrepresent facts to the court. They shouldn't say things they don't believe, but those are not the allegations that are being leveled against the lawyers who are now being subject to disbarment and discipline by hundreds of law professors and students who are sending out petitions. Some of these are the same lawyers and law professors and students who are sending out petitions to ban speakers uh, who had anything to do with the Trump administration from speaking on campus. So we have a crisis in free speech, but Facebook has figured out a way of solving it. The New York Times reported uh, this weekend that uh, Facebook has appointed a bevy of platonic guardians to protect our right of free speech and our sensitivities. Uh, Facebook has appointed a group of people, very distinguished, elite people, I know some of them, who are on the list, uh, former judges, law professors, Nobel Prize winners, Pulitzer Prize winners, to tell us what we can see on Facebook and what should be censored. I've seen the list. Um, it's a mixed list. It has some good people and it has some god-awful people on it. There are people on it who clearly are zealots, partisan zealots, who will be extraordinarily biased uh, in favor of one ideology and against another ideology. Um, there are people who would seem to be fair. Um, it's an interesting idea to take the decision away from uh, Mark Zuckerberg and his small group of very, very wealthy owners of, 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 of Facebook and put it in the hands of uh, people being paid uh, six-figure salaries for a few hours a week of deciding whether a nipple can be shown on YouTube if the nipple is being shown by, I think, Brazilian television to alert women to how to diagnose breast cancer. That's the big issue that they've been considering in the past uh, uh, period uh, of time, being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to do it. Uh, what concerns me is the precedent of elitist platonic guardians telling us what we can read and what we can see, even if they get it right for the first few years. Who knows who they'll be replaced by? And the precedent, the idea of our free speech rights being in the hand of a few elitists whose agendas are unknown, is frightening. In some respects, it's better to have responsibility in the hands of one person, Zuckerberg or his um, board of directors, than this group of people. We don't even know how they'll vote. They're not going to be particularly accountable. You know, damn it. Sorry. Um, let me, okay. Okay, ready? Okay. We don't know how they'll vote. Uh, we won't find out how they voted. Their votes will probably be kept uh, uh, secret. Who's voting for the nipple? No, I'm against the nipple. I'm for the nipple. All right. Well, we may or may not find out about that monumental decision, but, um, but uh, there won't be any real accountability. And, you know, there'll be people will be switched in and out of this platonic group of speech guardians. And in the end, uh, it just worries me to have any group of people, good or bad or, or neutral, uh, determining what we see and what we hear. So I'm, I'm skeptical. It's interesting. I'm not sure I have a better solution. Um, you know, the problem of how Facebook and Twitter and YouTube determine and rumble 
determine what goes on the air and what doesn't go on the air, what goes on their platform, what doesn't go on their platform, is troubling. There's no perfect solution. Uh, and this is one that's being offered. I commend them for trying, but I view skeptically the end result of a group of elitists uh, making decisions and giving legitimacy to censorship, giving academic and cultural legitimacy to censorship because the censorship is being done by good people. That worries me greatly. I'm really interested in your views on this. And when you give me your views on how to deal with uh, Facebook and the other social media, you got to respond to the hard questions. Um, clearly, they can't allow everything on their platform. You can't allow child pornography. You can't allow solicitations to murder. Uh, there are going to be limitations. And the question is, what those limitations are, can standards be articulated in advance and applied neutrally across the board? Who determines whether those standards have been satisfied? It's not so easy. I mean, even Rumble, maybe many of you heard my interview with the brilliant uh, founder of Rumble, but even he concedes that, no, he doesn't allow everything on his platform. He allows much more than others, but he won't allow child pornography. He won't allow... Um, uh, criminal acts or extortionate threats or other kinds of things. So there have to be some standards. The real question is matters of degree. Are they minimalist standards? Only things that are illegal are prohibited. So you can have Holocaust denial speech. You can have white supremacy speech. You can have all kinds of racist, horrible, sexist, uh, anti-Semitic, you name it, uh, speech. Uh, that's one approach. And Probably, in the end, that's the approach I would favor. That is, only illegal material should be banned. And for that, you don't need a bevy of platonic guardians. You just need a couple of smart lawyers, um, uh, former prosecutors, former judges, etc., who just make the determination of legality and everything else goes. And nobody is making decisions what's true or what's false. Was this election fair? Wasn't it fair? That's not something for guardians to determine. That's something for the public to determine for itself. Uh, the other question, and it's a question that's being addressed by these platonic guardians as well, not only is it yes or no, does it get on the platform or not, but does it get accompanied with statements, well, this goes on, but we don't think it's true, this goes on, view it with caution. These are all complicated questions, and I'm really interested in your views, but don't give me black and white answers. Don't say there should be no censorship or there should be total censorship. There can't be no censorship. There has to be some. So I want to know from you what the criteria should be, who should make those decisions, and whether you feel comfortable with what Facebook is doing. These are issues that will concern us um, in the weeks to come and in the years to come. I think how we deal with social media censorship is going to be one of the great uh, free speech issues of the next decade or perhaps uh, two decades. And so the Durst Show is where we'll consider it and where we'll discuss it. We're not going to come up with perfect answers because there are no perfect answers, but I suspect we're going to come up with better answers on The Dirt Show than in other formats because here we're fair, objective, non-political, non-partisan, and we pass the shoe on the other foot test. So that's my take for today on The Dirt Show. Let's turn now to your takes, your questions, your comments. You provide the wits for The Dirt Show wits. So let's hear what you have to say. Let's now turn to our first caller of the day. 
Hi, Professor Dershowitz. Uh, a free speech double standard is existing in this country right now. Progressives have free speech rights, while the rights of conservatives are abridged. Twitter and Parler are both protected by Section 230 from the federal government. Both contain bad stuff on them. Amazon hosts both sites, but blocks only Parler. If President Biden wants to unify, he needs to condemn this kind of behavior and begin an inquiry into the legality of Apple, Google, and Amazon deplatforming a free speech platform that had Section 230 protection. In addition, of course, uh, they also need to stop the impeachment trial nonsense. Thank you. Well, I agree with part of what you said. I think President Biden can play a very important role here, but he doesn't have to condemn. All he has to do is encourage. He can use his bully platform to express the views of his administration and his personal views about maximizing free speech and not using it selectively or using censorship selectively. I think he can do a great deal to legitimate uh, a greater open marketplace of ideas. Ultimately, we're going to need to revise Section uh, 230 because it uh, was never intended to give complete immunity and exemption to platforms that pick and choose what they have. Of course, I agree with you on the impeachment and trial. I think it will divide the country further, and I think it's being done purely for short-term partisan benefits. Hello, Professor Dershowitz. I really enjoy your show. Um, I have a question. Uh, first, you're, you had a um, you wanted to know about what Biden could do to heal um, the country. I'm a very strong. I was a very strong Trump supporter. The first thing he would have to do, since I think the courts with Judge Roberts and the other um, court, uh, legal system refused to even listen to the complaints of illegal voter fraud is um, have appoint a commission like you talked about and look at all the allegations and prove that he's a legitimate president. Until he can prove that to me, with all the allegations floating around there, I am never going to even look to him as being a president. So I, that's the number one. I can't even get look at anything else till he proves it. I, to me, it's like a football game. It was cheated, and I'm supposed to then say you're the winner because everything, the cheating that I see in there – goes against my values and takes my vote away. So put a commission together, go over the allegations, show that he's a legitimate president, and I'll respect it. But until he does that, I can't respect it. And number two, um, where is the ACLU um, protecting the rights of the former um, Trump staffers, such as the press secretary, um, uh, Kelly, and the rest of them, where mm -hmm. they want to go after them, and Harvard wants to take away their law degrees, and they want to make sure they never work again, and the censorship on the uh, from the big techs. Where is the ACLU? I mean, um, are, have they been bought out by the big companies? I always see them representing, uh, you know, all other types of situations. But here are people that probably differ them on the political viewpoints. But I thought they're supposed to represent everyone's rights. Can you please comment on that? And I really enjoy your show. Thank you very much. Thanks for your great question. You know, I know a lot about the ACLU. I was on the national board of the American Civil Liberties Union for many years as a young man when it really was a civil liberties union. Uh, today, it is not a civil liberties union. Today, it's a money-making organization that has, like 
tripled, quadrupled, maybe even more its uh, income as the result of simply becoming anti-Trump all the time. I don't know what it's going to do now that Trump's no longer uh, president. Probably it'll have a diminution in contributions. But they were bought, not by big companies. They were bought by contributions um, and also by identity politics. When I was on the national board of the ACLU, um, we had people of all backgrounds who had a shared commitment to civil liberties. Then they decided to impose essentially quotas, a certain number of women, a certain number of African-Americans, a certain number of Latinos. And those people were expected to vote their identity, and they did. And now if you look at the ACLU, their main focus is on liberal political issues, a woman's right to choose, gay marriage, immigration. Those are all important issues, but they don't they're not at the core of the mission of the Civil Liberties Union, which should be freedom of speech and due process. And freedom of speech and due process have been relegated to the backwaters of um, the ACLU. Um, yeah, they every five years they'll defend the Nazi or somebody in Charlottesville because that's easy to do. But they don't go on college campuses and speak up on behalf of people accused of sexism or racism. Um, they don't confront the political correctness of their donors and contributors. And um, I think they uh, have ceased to be a major cause to protect freedom of speech and due process. Now we have organizations like FIRE, which does work effectively on college campuses and is very nonpartisan. On the issue of a commission, I agree with you that we should have a commission, but not that the commission should have to prove that the election was legitimate. I think the burden is quite clearly on the other side. The election was legitimate. Um, Biden won by five or more million votes and by a lot of electoral uh, votes. There have been some questions raised, but not enough to change the outcome of the election, in my view. But I agree with you. There are 30, 40, 50, I don't know how many millions of Americans who agree with you that the election was not fair. Uh, I don't think you're right, but uh, who knows? Uh, I'm open to uh, an investigation, especially by somebody as open-minded as you. You said if there were an investigation and it proved to your satisfaction that the election was fair, you would change your mind. As long as there are people out there willing to change their mind, I think there's great value and having a, a voter integrity panel that looks at all the evidence. Remember now that Dominion is suing uh, both Rudy Giuliani and I think some others, um, um, uh, Sidney Powell and others, uh, for being defamed and being attacked. Um, we should learn the truth about that. And defamation cases are not a place where you learn the truth because there are too many issues that come in, uh, is it malice, uh, is it a public figure, all of those issues intrude on the pure speech determining process. So I think a voter integrity panel is a good idea, but I think in the meantime, the heavy burden is on those who would dispute the election, and we ought to recognize that uh, Joe Biden is the legitimate president of the United States, and I commend him on his efforts to heal our rifts and bring us together. I will be critical of many of his policies, as I've been critical of the policies of every single president of the United States from the time I was a kid. I was critical of Eisenhower, of Kennedy, of Johnson, you name it. I was critical of them. That's my job, to be a critic. And that's your job, uh, as citizens, to be critical of our government, no matter who the president is. I am so disappointed in you, as a person who believes you are liberal, uh, one time supported democratic causes, 
and believe in a strong believer in the Constitution to turn your back on, on liberal causes and support this man, Trump, who, who's endorsed by right-wing fanatic anti-Semites, and you uh, recognize that that's okay under the First Amendment. What he did at the Washington Capitol, he exhorted his, uh, um, his supporters to go to the Capitol. He was similar to Goebbels and during the Holocaust, the Nazis. It shows what a leader, like a man like Trump, could energize people to be persuaded by his words. That's what the First Amendment's all about. The First Amendment protects people who you disagree with, people who I disagree with. I certainly don't support anybody who uh, supports white supremacy or racism or anti-Semitism, but the First Amendment does. Uh, The First Amendment allows uh, racism. The First Amendment allows sexism. The First Amendment allows advocacy, even of violence. It doesn't allow incitement, but it allows advocacy. So you're not fighting with me. You're fighting with the First Amendment. You want to amend the First Amendment? Call a constitutional convention. I will fight against you. I preserve the First Amendment, even for Nazis, even for uh, people who I fundamentally disagree with. But this is not about me. It's about the First Amendment. Good morning, Professor Dershowitz. Uh, my name is Esther. I'm calling from Boston, Massachusetts, uh, not too far from Harvard Law School. And I'm calling in as a former law student, hoping to get my first A-plus at a Harvard Law School uh, professor. Um, so yesterday you asked how I feel President Biden can help unite the country. Um, and as a Trump supporter and a Trump voter, um, and if this was public, I'm sure I'll lose a lot of friends, but who cares? One thing that I think President Biden can do is to publicly denounce the witch hunt and the censorship of any Trump supporter, um, and not just publicly denounce it, but have um, his constituents, his you know the his president or vice president, have them not just announce it, but actually act on it. Um, and one way he can act on it is by bringing back Parler. Uh, by bringing back former President Trump onto the social media platforms. Um, I think by doing that, he will show that 74 million, million Americans are not racist, are not wrong. They are just have a different point of view. Anyways, I hope I tallied your class. Um, thank you so much, Professor Dershowitz. Keep doing what you're doing. Talk to you soon. Bye. A plus, without a doubt. Great, great comment. I, I agree with you. I think President can do a lot more in saying that the marketplace of ideas must remain open, that we can't take recriminations against people we uh, disagree with. Again, quoting Lincoln, with uh, malice toward none and charity to all. Let's move forward. Let's stop this. Now, you know what's going to happen with these bevy of platonic guardians that I talked about on the show? The first thing they're going to do after they solve the serious nipple problem, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to allow... Uh, President Trump to get back on Facebook. And that will give them credibility with a lot of people because they will say, look, he's the former president. He has a voice. There are millions of people who want to hear his voice. They will be right in doing that. And it will give them credibility, which they may then use to come to many, many wrong decisions. That's what concerns me about having this group of guardians telling us what we can see and what we can hear. But you get a strong A+. Great, great question, great comment. That's what happens when you live so close to Harvard Law School. Our last call. 
Good morning, Professor Dershowitz. I enjoy your seminars on the American Constitution. Extremely exciting. I am a scientist. I have no background in it. And this is really an eye-opener, a great intellectual journey. I want to share something with you. Recently, in one of the podcasts, you um, provided your assessment of Biden as a good man because you have known them, known them since Kennedy. So you associated Kennedy, Biden, Harvard, and your son's admission. That really made your stock fall dramatically down in my eyes. All the four of them are extremely corrupt. I hardly need to tell you the role Biden played in hiding Ted Kennedy's murder of his secretary. And still you claim Biden is a good man. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you may be a Democrat, but you are trying to provide justification didn't go well with me. Thank you, Professor. Well, I appreciate your call, but your facts are all wrong. Um, Biden had nothing to do with um, with with the Senator Kennedy and the um, Chappaquiddick case. Um, wasn't his secretary? It was just a young woman who tragically died and was drowned. I was one of Ted Kennedy's lawyers uh, in that case. I was deeply involved in that case. I know what happened, and uh, I'm completely convinced it was uh, an accident. Uh, I didn't understand your question about about my son or my grandson. That was a little vague. My my grandson got into Harvard completely on his own merits and graduated with extreme. Uh, good good grades and uh, is doing great. Um, um, it's just that Joe Biden wrote him, uh, did, did a little um, uh, uh, video congratulating him at my request. I asked him to do it. It was just a nice thing. Joe Biden is a nice guy and he does things like that. A number of other people also congratulated uh, him. Uh, that's uh, just a nice thing to do. So um, I think Ted Kennedy was one of the great senators in American history. Am I critical of many aspects of his life? Yes. Um, uh, and even some of his votes. But I work very closely with him on criminal justice reform, on rescuing Soviet Jewry, on human rights around the world. And I'm proud of my association with Ted Kennedy as I'm proud of my um, association, limited as it is or has been, with Joe Biden, these are good people. I don't believe they're corrupt. Um, uh, are they perfect human beings? No. Are there perfect human beings in the world? No. Um, but I'm uh, very satisfied with uh, Joe Biden as a very, very decent person. And whenever a president's elected, I'm going to support that president. Um, I'm going to support them until I find policies which I disagree with. That's what happened with Trump. I disagreed with his policies on immigration, with taxes, with health care, with uh, coronavirus, uh, with gun control, uh, with a range of issues. Uh, I agreed with his policies on the Middle East and the Abraham Accords. Uh, I have the same thing with President Carter. I agreed with many of his domestic policies, disagreed with some of his foreign policies. It's the nature of democracy, but throwing around words like, you know, massive corruption, I don't think... Uh, uh, furthers the debate, and it certainly doesn't heal us. Uh, no one's perfect, and what we have elections for 
is to pick who the best person at the best time to govern our country. Uh, that decision was made. I respect it. And uh, let's move forward. So on the Der Show, we're going to hear criticisms of everybody. There's no perfect politician, certainly no perfect politician. And we're going to take your views. And no matter how extreme your views are, we're going to listen. And I'm going to try to respond. And uh, let's keep the calls coming. Let's keep the subscriptions going on Rumble and YouTube and uh, other places. Um, we're getting close to 100,000 subscribers. Let's break that number and uh, let's have calls from you every day because you're the wits to The Dirt Show. Thanks. An important part of The Dirt Show is your voice, your questions, your comments. Please call 24-7. The number is 216-710-0050. Keep your comments short and to the point. Again, the number for you to call 24-7 is 216-710-0050. Hard questions, criticisms, everything's fine. Just keep your questions short and I'll answer them all on The Dirt Show.